my long-winded soliloquy where at the end of it, Brian just completely changed the subject and said, but are you a maximalist or, you know? All right, Brian, I'll let you respond. No, Troy, this is the Troy show. This is the, this is the underlying dynamic of this show. This is it's, Troy it's trying to make thing. it all about Troy. Go on. It's magic. Right, well, so, it's Troy, magic. you can it's continue. Yeah, I'm not making it all about me. <laughs> You've already had your son, Ron. Yeah, I think we are. Hold it, hold it, hold it, hold it. The son episode was meant to be a test of having another voice and a different point of view on our podcast. And I thought it was worthy as such. So stop it. Stop being like that. Say you're thinking <laughs> more about yourself. Welcome to People vs. Algorithms, a conversation about patterns in media, technology, and culture. I'm Brian Morrissey. I write the Rebooting newsletter and host the Rebooting Show podcast. Each week, I'm joined by longtime media executive and investor Troy Young, writer of the People vs. Algorithms newsletter, and Alex Schleifer, former head of design at Airbnb and founder of Universal Entities. This week, we're taking a break from AI. Don't worry, we'll get back to it soon enough to discuss a related issue, how we come up with ideas and how we work. I'm a writer and an editor by trade, and writing is the harder job, and only editors will tell you differently. The rise of AI tools for writing will again call into question the utility of writing as a profession. And I can understand this. Growing up, I didn't think of writing as a viable career choice. It seemed more like something you learned to do in childhood, and then you went on to acquire other, more marketable skills. I mean, if you could write, but you sucked at math, your parents generally pushed you to go to law school. The worst part about being a writer is starting the writing. I'm pretty sure that even the most experienced writers dread the start. It's somewhat like the point of entering the ocean where the water gets to the waistline. But the writing itself, to me, has always been overrated as part of the process. Most of the effort should be done on the front end, coming up with the idea and argument or the reporting, depending on what you're writing. And then on the back end, in the editing. I mean, you have to drown your kittens, as the cliche goes. The writing itself is, for the most part, a chore to be done. I'm not sure why it's romanticized. In fact, I find I do my best work when the time for writing is constricted. Just writing this is done, of course, at the last minute, as Alex texts me for the third time, wondering where the intro is since we recorded this episode over a week ago. Procrastination is also an important part of the writing process. Doing the writing in a sprint is one way to avoid overthinking and talking yourself out of what you want to say. The thinking should already be done in your head. The writing part is just getting out on the screen or in the old days onto the paper. It's a bit of a different episode, so I hope you enjoy the different perspectives that we bring to it. As always, send your feedback. My email is brian at therebooting.com. Couple things. And it's about both of you guys. And I was thinking it would be fun to do an episode on how we work and how we think and how we get ideas and how we use time or other processes to let our mind wander or get better ideas or fill in the gaps and all that. And, and it started when I was with Alex last week, Brian, in Berkeley, California. And I've known Alex for a long time. And one of the things that I like is when I make a dumb comment, he's really fast with a kind of witty response. I like that. But I saw him do something with a group of young product people that was just really useful. He really slowed down the conversation, got them extremely focused on one use case that was ultimately the real differentiator for this product. This product's in the music space. Really forced the group to think through in a structured way a bunch of scenarios that we could create 
that would turn a simple need into something interesting. And through that, there was just a lot of creativity unleashed in the room that I think really helped these people. So I admired it and it got me thinking about not just the best ways of working with teams, but how you get ideas. Related to that, I'll just add another quick anecdote and maybe we can get started. And it's, I find writing really hard. Maybe I'm getting better at it. I set a goal to create 52 newsletters. I've written 63. But like, for example, this week's was hard to write. It took me longer than I wanted it to. I'd like to get it down to a couple of hours. I'm just finding that goal really elusive. And last week I sent jumbled group of thoughts to you, Brian. And I said, well, I feel like there's a note here. I feel like it's a bit all over the place. And literally within a half an hour, you cut it up, you framed it with the first paragraph, you sent it back to me in a Google Doc, and it just made the whole thing so much easier. And I felt glad that was useful. Oh my God. I did that on my phone in an airport. And I felt like A, that I was completely inadequate and B, just that I really need to get better at figuring out how to simplify the kind of writing journey from the beginning so I can take a single thought and write it in a way that's digestible. Because often my stuff is dense and wandering and all kinds of shit. So anyway, I appreciate both of those aspects of my relationship with you guys, but I wanted to maybe see if we could do a podcast around your processes. I'll share whatever I can add, but I'm interested in how you do things all the way from like, how do you think about writing to the value of a good walk or a run in your case, Brian? A walk? I like a walk. I find a walk. Oh, I think W-O-K, walk. No. Uh, well, that can walk. be good too. Cooking is good. Yeah. I like walking. It's a fun topic, Troy. I think it's a fun who do, topic. Who do One thing I with? noticed about you, Alex, in the old days is that you would hand me something and then I would say to you, maybe we could do it differently or better or something. And then you'd get mad at me. And the next day you'd send me something brilliant or a week later. I'm interested what your kind of creative process is, Alex. How do you but, I mean, it's well, ideas? Let's break it down, right? I mean, the creative process starts with ideas at the end of the day, right? How do you get ideas? Thank you for all the kind words. It's hard for me sometimes to organize my process into something coherent. I can do things in the moment. But the clearer my thinking, the better I know the problem that's trying to be solved, if that makes sense. And I think that one of the reasons I might be good at what I do is that I get, <laughs> I get easily confused. And there's this voice inside my head that's kind of like, well, what are we trying to do here? I find that being able to pick that out of the room and clarify the question question can be very valuable to teams sometimes. So to me, it's trying to see, well, what are we trying to solve? Are we trying to find out what we're uniquely capable to do? Uh, what is that? How is that useful to real people? What happens a lot is that, especially in a business setting, especially with really smart people and people that come through academia, there's a sense of becoming pretty strategic in the thinking and thinking through numbers and goals rather than much more tactical, which is thinking about people and their day-to-day and what are they doing. I used to not do that stuff because I used to think I'm going to sound dumb. But I go, but what is the thing that the person does? They tap on a thing and they see a thing. Like, why does that, why is that fun? Why should they do it? Are you trying to make it fun? As you ask these like questions, which are really like trying to get to the root of what you're trying to solve and then think about real people doing those things. I try to do that. And I've been trying to organize my thoughts so that I could scale it because when I was working with big teams, I wanted folks to ask the same questions. And I organized it into a couple of models that I think work pretty well, especially around product design or anything that you're making. And it was answering these three questions. Do you love it? Is it useful? Is it scalable? Can it be repeated? 
hey, this is a thing you're doing every day. Do you enjoy doing it? Does it do the thing you want it to do? And then can that behavior be used across the board? If I learn this interaction or learn how to do something, is this something that becomes useful for me elsewhere? Because that also makes it much easier to build and then you can start building habits, etc. So that was just setting up questions that people ask has been very useful for me. But I generally try to get less confused about stuff. And I often get very confused about strategy when I don't understand the problem we, we're trying to solve. And I don't know if strategy is the right term, but I think that has helped me as a human-centered designer or whatever they call it. Does that kind of tap into the magic you saw in the room that day, which I didn't really notice? Brian, how do you get unconfused? How do I get unconfused? I don't know. I think making a product or designing a product is somewhat different than writing or editing what I do. It's just you're creating something new like daily or weekly or a couple times a week or several times a week. And so, Well, then tell me about how you... It has to be a very compressed process at the end of the day. <laughs> the difference is like coming up with what you want to make and what you want to communicate, in my case, writing and stuff. A lot of that work. I remember during my time in Miami, he used to call me. He used to call me more frequently, Troy, but you would call me and there'd be noise in the background. He'd be like, are you at the pool? It's <laughs> like, I am, but it's ideation time. And I was half joking, but I was half like real because I would get like ideas looking at like clouds and then the writing is easy. The writing itself is just, that's mm -hmm. easy. That is actually, to me, it's better to be done last minute. I find the best results are like, I don't have a newsletter written for tomorrow. I'll get up early in the morning and I will write it. See, I find that amazing. How well formed when you're sitting there on the lounge or are you, when you get that idea, do you take notes? No, I just think about what it's going to be in my head. Like I already have the, I already have the structure. Of but when you're thinking about it, Brian, are you, are you like, okay, so the main idea is X and then I'll support it with these three or four points. And here's an anecdote that would fit nicely into it. How do you structure that thinking? Yeah. Or what would you advise me or anyone else on how to do it? What's the idea you're going to do tomorrow? So I was thinking about, like I did a podcast last week with this guy who's running News Nation in the Hill now. He was talking about nonpartisan news and everyone, like it was a great podcast. But when you keep hearing the same thing, you're like, okay, this, they're trying to get through this nonpartisan thing. And of course, everyone just uses that as a flag. But I was thinking about it with Trump and being arraigned tomorrow here. And also with all this AI debate about how and I keep going back to it. It's like everyone just tries to take these extremist maximalist positions on these things these days. And I really blame social media for it because it rewards maximalism. It does not reward on the one hand, on the other hand, even handedness. You don't need to be a giant growth hacker to understand that you just have to come out with the strongest possible opinion and just fight every single person in a joint if you're going to like, quote unquote, win at social media. And that's why I encourage people not to try to win at social media. So I know I'm going to write something sort of along those lines because I've been like gathering together different threads of different things that to me like fit in that and originally i wasn't going to do it as like an essay format but then you figure out the format you're going to write and then at variety coffee tomorrow at 7 30 in the morning it'll come to me that's my process it's really chaotic i don't know if it's that chaotic though and i don't know if it's that different because i also believe in the idea of executing really rapidly that part where you sit down you make the thing should be as compressed as possible so you're putting out whatever ideas you had and this could apply to anything you're making but I think that what you've outlined is these three phases, which I think apply to most things, which is the thinking phase, the execution phase, and then the editing phase where you look at what you've done. And it applies to design, it applies to music, it applies to... I think what we get confused about is that some people love to think being by the pool and having a margarita and just thinking about it. Some people need the walk, right? The walk 
Troy, you were sending us some articles. Some people take a lot of notes. I take notes, but I realize that I never come back to my notes because to me, the notes are a way of making an idea real and it helps me memorize them and process them. And so I think important to know which modality you're in. And so when you're thinking, you open up your mind to be a lot broader and then you distill it down, you focus it. And then when you have something that's concentrated enough, you go into execution and that's when you sit down and you write it. You might have written a hundred thousand words before that, but the actual act of doing it and then you edit. And then depending on the size of the project, right? I'm working on a video game or if you're working on a book or something like that, that's a repeatable pattern every day that it just applies to the same thing. But it's essentially very similar. And I think we underestimate the thinking part because I think oh, that's what sure. makes us really good. It's all the inputs of the thinking part to me that are the most important. Because when people are like, they make a big deal about their writing room or where they write. I don't know. If you write enough and not Murakami or something, like you can write anywhere. It doesn't matter. And maybe it was just being in newsroom is loud and chaotic. I write better in like coffee shops or could do it in airports. I could do it anywhere. Sure. It's one skill I think I have. I could write anywhere. On my phone, I could write it on it. I think people sometimes they try to compress. And when people get stuck, at least with writing, it's because they haven't done the thinking and they sit in front of a screen and then they're going to try to like reverse engineer. And it's like, okay, let me, let me do an outline. Right. Can I add a couple of observations, just things that have slowly occurred to me about the writing part? I love that model, thinking, executing, and editing. Just a quick observation about that. I found that I'll feel semi-moronic when I'm writing out things in the first draft. I'm really hard on myself. This doesn't make sense. I'm not thinking about this clearly enough, all of that. What I've learned is that if I sort of accelerate that part of the process and I get it out, that there's a tremendous amount of magic in the editing piece. And just coming back to it, I can really take the blade to the clay and shape some something into something coherent. That's been a kind of new learning for me. I'm bad at a lot of things. One thing I think I'm pretty good at is when there's a bunch of ideas or stimuli, I visualize them in my mind, like what are all these things doing and how do they connect to one another? So this kind of visualization of nodes is a way that my mind works. And then what I find is that's both a strength and a weakness. It allows me to see patterns and things. But when I go to write it out, sometimes I get really caught up in knots because I feel like I have to explain it all or to simply put it into a logic. And one of the things that I've learned, this is where I think the visual side, there's an interesting connection between the visual representation of an idea, which is really what you're extraordinary at, Alex. And I'm not saying that you're not good with ideas or words or any of that, but I've seen you take ideas and make them visual in really remarkable ways. And Brian, I think you're good at it with words. On the visual side, what you realize is there's a lot of tricks to make the eye see something in a way that you want the the viewer to see it. Some of them are tricks and it might be shadowing or masking or how you make an image move from front to back or how you frame something, all that. And in writing, one thing I've noticed is sometimes you don't have to say everything. Sometimes you can let the reader do some of the work. Sometimes there's a sort of sleight of hand in writing that enables you to paint an idea without having to literally go through it all and explain it all. I'm learning how to do that. I guess that's just sort of storytelling, but it's like, how do I quickly frame an idea where someone can take it and then they can, on their end, they can fill in a lot of it themselves. 
And it's the equivalent of the kind of visual sleight of hand in a verbal way. I think you learn that as a writer. I, I don't know if you agree with that, Brian, or understand. Yeah, I mean, I think there's all, all these tricks. It's it's like when we did that consulting project, the the two by two. That's where that was my real introduction into the power of the two by two in consulting strategy land. You can have an eighty page deck. If there's one two by two on that, they're going back to the two by two. So that's the analogy in strategy. The two by two to me is it's a trick. You deploy it because, you know, everyone's like, okay, which quadrant? Are, are we in the upper right quadrant? I hope so. I think that what happens a lot, and when people become good at something, it's also because they've done it a lot. And what you're talking about, Troy, a little bit is as you're making something and as you're thinking about it, you also have that editing process in mind so that you don't. And I think that comes with time where you will over design something or over engineer something. There's this process, the think, make, edit process that, that I talked about. And I think think is underrepresented in people's minds because they just need to get to work. And then I think the edit also is because they need to launch the thing or put it out or whatever that is. But the more you do this, the more that process will make every part of that process better. And I think over time, and I can see it as a designer, I have become much quicker at being able to say, oh yeah, no, I don't need to even go there because I think people will figure this one out. And also I can sit in a room and that's way easier than doing it for myself, but I can sit in a room and listen to people talk about a topic and edit it down because I've seen this happen or I've seen this specific model discussed or whatever that is. I use that analogy of poker. To be a good poker player, you just need to have played a lot of hands. You can understand the rules in no time, but it's that having it done a lot just will make you better. I mean, <laughs> I don't know what else to say it, but you need yeah. to do the three parts of that process. But can I come back to this writing thing? Brian, what advice did you give me when I was really struggling to get something down on paper? What advice did you give me? I don't know, not to overthink it and just write what you know and what you believe. I think that's why it's important to have a very constrained amount of time because I think particularly as you get older or more experienced or you have a reputation, I think inevitably you take fewer risks, you talk yourself out of stuff, and the more time you have, and maybe this is my own personality, the more you talk yourself out of things and you start to think, oh, I shouldn't do that, I shouldn't do that. Whereas if you do things, if you're doing the execution and if you did the thinking like beforehand, the execution should be very fast because I think a lot of times people talk themselves out of things and hopefully the editing is about making the things clearer and tighter and not doing the oh i, don't, I shouldn't do that i shouldn't do that because i don't yeah, know i think that's a, that, Alex, a really good point yourself out because when you're experienced sometimes you probably don't take as many risks as you used to yeah yeah one thing i find is i really worry that what I'm making isn't going to live up to the expectations I have for myself or that the audience has for me. So I take it far too seriously. I'm sure it's rooted in some kind of childhood trauma or something like that where I don't feel I'm good enough or whatever it is. But I was thinking yesterday as I was struggling to write this thing, the note for today, I was thinking, how often do I think back after reading someone's piece, Brian's piece, whoever's, and think, oh my God, that really stuck with me as being something that was terrible. Or just not good. I mean, I can't even, I mean, you just don't even remember. I used to say this to people all the time. I'm like, do you think people are going to start to gather outside and protest? No. Unless you're saying something terrible. You need to be pursuing what is a good product. I need to make a good product. That's my goal. But yeah, but it should be if what along... you think is a good product. Now, that's what my problem with this over-engineered and over-optimized phase of media is. Everyone's trying to reverse engineer from results 
to the product itself rather than like there's just too much optimization from the end result i've seen this like also in writing i think ai is going to completely accelerate this where a lot of people in tech and tech adjacent industries decided they're going to get good at writing so they were going to take apart the writing machine now there's all these courses on how you have you heard of this it's like copying there's this method in which you quote unquote learn to write by copying the writing of others you like literally write what they wrote and apparently by osmosis you then become a writer like them that's the method that's a little weird i mean it's a shortcut if people want to put in the ten thousand hours put in the ten thousand hours if not pay 69 dollars for the course it's exciting I wanted to add this, Troy, it's interesting hearing you be maybe somewhat a little insecure or healthy so about the work that you create, because I've really experienced you a lot as my boss and my mentor. It's interesting to see that. Do you find that it's that you can give others advice much better than you can give yourself advice about how to work? Oh, yeah, of course. Right. Of course. Yeah. And this is why I like working with other people. I find myself much more capable at separating myself from the work and this kind of stage anxiety. We have to remind ourselves that when you're making something, whatever you're making, it's not like a one night only performance. People are going to remember you for the last thing you did and hopefully the next thing you do is better than the last one. And also the thing I tried to tell a young designer is you should care a lot, but you should also remember that nobody else gives a shit. And if you can get that balance yeah. right, you can you can get things done really well. I, think. I guess that's what I was getting at. Thanks for that. Yeah. yeah, yeah, That's well put. And it's the line between that that should give you some freedom. And that's right. It's really hard to do. Yeah. And, and sometimes I don't have that freedom. And that's why I really have valued this exercise. It really just occurred to me one day that I would try to use Substack as a tool and write a newsletter. And that was the humble beginning, just how this podcast was like, hey, let's get Brian on the phone and let's start this thing. But much more than that has been, I feel like I'm on a kind of a journey to figure out a new skill. It's given me some anxiety, but I think it's making me a better thinker. It's certainly I'm opening sure. my eyes to Do you keep the, a journal? the spaceship over the White House. What? Do you keep um, a journal? journal? No. I give myself a really hard time about that. My handwriting's really bad. I notice Alex's is really nice and tidy. Um, no, no, you do, I, I no. Uh, Just Google Doc. Google Doc on your phone. Oh, no, no, no. I do I, I do make notes constantly on Evernote. I just feel like I should get back to no, writing. It's not a book notes, Troy. You write about what you're feeling, what you're thinking. Oh, you mean that kind of writing? Yeah, yeah. Like mm -hmm. you just write down like what, what you're thinking, what you're feeling, what's going on, what you're observing. I don't I do not do that. Especially no. when you apply gratitude to it, that's very yeah. great. I do. At the end of the day, I put five good things that, that happened that day, no matter how bad the day it, was. And what every I day? found. Yeah. Are we going to make found, it into that today? Actually, no. I don't think. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know. We'll see. There's still... Some there's like the again. Trump thing. There's the thing there's he had Trump. for lunch. And we're like, we're like six and seven, Troy. I'm making salmon <laughs> later. I can't compete with that. <laughs> I saw that you made a you made a stir fry the other night. That was very sweet. Yeah, no, I'm, I'm, I did, made some Kung Pao chicken. I got this flavors app. Some of these Instagram chefs, they're getting savvy. And so they're trying to direct people to this flavors app, which is missing the O. It's got all the Instagram famous chefs on there. I'm very interested in how they got everyone to do the same format. One friend guys going off on his own but everyone is basically in the same format but it's very useful I really like it what's the format i want to try format, this yeah. it's a typical hands and pans the overhead shot it's all vertical video and it scrolls like tiktok mm. i think because i don't use tiktok but and you found that the quality of the rest is there any uniformity in the kind of simplicity of the recipes or any of that i mean they're pretty simple they have an ingredient list and you can put it to your grocery but i just found it interesting that they're trying to get people off instagram and stuff and get them into this app which makes sense 
I'm all for it. I think Instagram anyway. became too many things to, for too many people. So it, it works for me. Absolutely. Also, I would say last week I talked about how everyone should try to shave 30 minutes of their day using AI. AI for recipe creation is incredible. And really? Yes, it, it, it's right, incredible. Maybe that's where I'll start. So what you can ask AI, especially if you're asking around like specific things, if you have a conversation with it, you can say, well, I want to do a salmon dish and I have these ingredients and can you make some sort of salmon dish with roast potatoes? Write me a recipe. It will write a recipe. The nice thing about cooking is you can see it's not baking, right? Where you wouldn't know if something went wrong until the whole thing's baked. Here you can see if some of this stuff makes sense. But it will do a really complex multi-stage dinner, a really complex meal for 13 people for a birthday party that includes vegans and whatever and then it will compile all that into a very well organized shopping list and that type of stuff is really impressive and especially if you go back and forth with it from the last episode sounds like you're sort of coming around on ai alex i am holding these two thoughts in mind is that it's incredibly powerful and incredibly exciting and also it could end us all okay well at least you'll have a good dinner party before yeah, full belly. <laughs> I have a very efficient dinner party before Armageddon. I was trying to lead it back to the productivity thing via cooking. And it is that... Oh, wait, is it productivity? That, well, I don't know. I don't know. I like process or creative process. I do think that especially in writing prompts or in getting yourself... I find it that I get very inspired when somebody comes with something to me that gives me clarity to know what I want and don't want. And it's always a very good kind of framework. Mm. I'm a much better editor at times than I am a writer. And I wonder if that's... It's not the case for most people. I like writing things in bullet points. Everything that I write is an outline. It helps my brain. And being able to drop an outline into something that gets mildly structured into an article that I can then just read and rewrite. I won't don't even copy and paste and edit it. I just read it and then rewrite it because then it helps me organize my thoughts. That has been like a really good hack around capturing my thinking and getting started because I do get even when I sit down to write, I get a little bit anxious about that blank page and I don't write enough to ever get, I think, good enough so that I can just do it. So AI has been pretty yeah. interesting. I haven't used AI at all. Is English your second language or your first language, Alex? It's like second. Third or fourth. It's third European. Or fourth. Okay. Yeah. So just on that though, just to dig into that just a little bit, I think we did this, but I, I want to make sure. If I was to ask you what you do when you need to ideate? How do you get good ideas? If you think that, for example, this week you don't have something to write about, Brian, or Alex, you feel uninspired, how do you manage yourself? What do you do? You start, Brian. <laughs> Honestly? I mean, deadlines are what force ideas. If you have a deadline, you have to re- you'll come up with an idea. It might not be a great idea. You get another shot at it like a couple days later or even the next day if you're <laughs> psycho. No, but I, I agree yeah. with that. I, even if you're assigning the deadline to yourself, right? Even if you don't have one, just making sure that you have deadline and some sort of milestone does force you down a path. Making a decision and just getting to work is actually so important. Even I if thought you guys were maybe going to say something maybe more mystical or something. Like, like romantic? Alex, you turn, or you turn on those pink lights in your studio and you put your headphones on or I don't know. Just well, look, I, like, I, 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 I walk. I, I walk. I think... Well, that's the walking best thing. is. I think people overly romanticize this stuff. Honestly, it's just it's <laughs> Brian's just, just a fucking. Well, you were saying you you're making it sound like you're a machine, but you were just saying you like to hang out by the pool. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> so yeah. No, I like okay. to hang out by the pool. <laughs> okay, <laughs> you're real. Yeah, I was Some saying <laughs> that I was only like sort of like I was just excusing the fact that I was at the pool on a Tuesday afternoon. Uh-huh. This was 2021 in the zero interest rate phenomenon. It was a different time, and I miss those days. I do think that there's a couple of ingredients, though. I like this deadline thing. Yeah, deadlines yeah, are good. 
I like getting yourself out of early jail. mornings for me. Early, early mornings are great for me. I really, I'm a night, l- middle of the night person, which is actually a real struggle. One in the morning, I get incredibly creative and it's hard to go to sleep when that kicks in. I love that feeling, by the way. The feeling that, that you're talking about at one in the morning, I love that feeling. It's great. Yeah, it really? is great. Yeah, yeah, yeah just the feeling of abundance that comes from new thoughts, new ideas. Just, it's, it's just you and your thoughts. Yeah, it's appealing. I find it very engaging to have discourse with other people. I always find I have new ideas when I sit down and talk to you about this stuff. And I know it impacts me a lot, even though sometimes the idea is about something completely different. That's something I think went really missing during the pandemic, this idea of sitting in a room with people forced to discuss something that wasn't just a task, but just have a conversation about a topic. It's actually quite rare. Do you like group design? I don't know the field, so I don't like, I mean, yeah, I know no, like I, I mean, actually, I, yeah, I like, I like cooperating. When I left Airbnb, I started my own thing. The first thing I did was start to recruit people to work on shit with me. I feel work is a collaborative effort. And for me, the best thing is, it's definitely great when everybody has their own skill sets. You always look at that. You're putting together a zombie survival team and somebody's good with an axe and the other person's good with a crossbow. But I actually find it really nice when you have people have overlapping skills and they motivate you to be better and they make you come up with new ways of thinking about stuff. I I, li- I love this idea they, the, uh, of the fig the fig jam, Alex. That's an example. Yeah. Of so it. every meeting that we have at our studio, we actually mostly turn off the cameras. So there's no cameras because I find that distracting. And then we just turn on this thing called the fig jam, which is this collaborative whiteboard. Everybody's little pointer is going over there. We can drop images and draw stuff and take our own notes. The amount of presence that that adds to the meeting and the amount of creative output that you can have by just dropping things into a conversation that is a little bit more visual has been instrumental, instrumental. I see people working remotely at my place and when I go to the office and so many of those things as people look, they have a Google Doc on the right and a grid of faces on the left. I'm like, how do you get anything done like that? That doesn't feel particularly freeform enough to really get to a good point and everybody's trying to act like they're looking at the cameras while they're reading their email. So we've upended that a little bit and it's been very, very powerful, I think. I've never really liked brainstorms. Well, I mean, they can be shit, right? Me neither, but I like the idea. I've just never, I don't like the experience. At the same time, they can be, if done well with the right people, it can be the most exhilarating part of any project. Think about it this way. Like when we sit down and try to come up with topics, sometimes it's a little last minute, but sometimes it's actually really exciting to come up with something together and reaching some sort of shared excitement around something we've come up with together. I think that stuff can be really exciting. We don't make enough space for this. The concept of a brainstorm, once again, is you have this thing that's structured and it can't be structured. And the problem is you make it structured is because somebody will come into the room and say, okay, well, what's the process for this? I need to know. Okay, it's 15 minutes ideating, 15 minutes stack ranking, and then we're going to go to the thing. And it's like, ah, man, you just killed everything. You know? Yeah, watch the guy who leaps up with the marker to the whiteboard. That's often me. Do you make a conscious effort to turn things off? Do you work on vacation or do you stop working deliberately? Uh, I stop and I only work four days a week. That has been my luxury. I wasn't going to stop I know a lot of people who took on pottery and kind of semi-retired and did stuff like that. I would never do that. But for me, the way of making this work is that I gave myself an extra day and I'm very, very intentional about not working on days where I don't work and not working past six. I also do stuff like I turn off all my alerts except texting and Discord. So people know that if they need to reach me, they know how to reach me. But an email might take a day or so. And I also went from a multi-screen setup of having different apps open to a single screen setup where everything's full screen. So if I'm Mm. in Photoshop, I just see Photoshop. If I'm looking for something, I only see that. And that's been 
really useful. Turn off all your notifications, single screen. I had a question about that today, Alex, I was going to ask you about, but I'll get to that when we get to good product. I will definitely say as well, I mean, everybody knows this, but social media fucking sucks the life force out of you. It It does, but at the same time, I feel like Twitter is still, I struggle with Twitter so much because like it is You're sniping on there all the time. I see you on there. I see what you're doing. Oh, I said this to my wife the other day. I was like, it's like menthol cigarettes for me. And she's like, I like menthol cigarettes. Oh, I love those. Oh, yeah, man. you got me. She doesn't smoke. talk about talk about like a great way to generate ideas. Menthol cigarettes. Oh, that's it. <laughs> we for, we never even yeah. brought that up. But there's nothing quite like hauling on a cigarette. It's my favorite thing to yeah. do. I don't do it anymore. But my replacement is obviously the Zins. They help me. They help me yeah, through yeah. the hard times. Well, nicotine is a focusing drug, so. For me, it is. Anyway, Twitter's menthol cigarettes to me. But it does have utility for... The reason that that people haven't fled Twitter is because it is an inefficient but effective discovery. It's so inefficient, but it is effective. I find like my time with Twitter to be incredibly ineffective. I do it because whenever you get any reaction from someone, it does feel good. And I think it does hit that. And there's times where, but I've literally started thinking about like, instead of writing tweets, I'm just going to write a bullet list of shit and I'm going to start putting them in my newsletter. Here's all the shit I would have tweeted in just one newsletter. You should do that. It's just like, it's just messy. And I think a lot of it is I suffer with ADHD or something like that. And I think for me, it's just really bad to go on there. And I get distracted and my thoughts get a little fuzzy because I'm reading all these. It's like walking into a party where everybody's talking by themselves oh, it's and crazy. you're trying to it's really unhealthy i know that's why i'm saying it's like menthol cigarettes yeah but menthol cigarettes at least you have a menthol cigarette <laughs> you're saying menthol cigarettes are better than twitter <laughs> Yeah, okay, I maybe. Think, I think but what are. I've noticed, like since since Elon's takeover, is that it will toss me into with that for you thing into some strange environments, and all of a sudden, random people are just hacking you and tearing you apart. Like I don't take yeah, it seriously, so I don't mind. But it's but it's, it's also pretty, like how many followers do you have? I don't know, like forty something thousand. Okay, you have forty thousand. I think once you reach that stage, you have a lot more capacity to gain engagement. I have seven thousand or something, and if I tweet about something about design or what. Whatever, I might get some engagement, but generally, like, it's worth nothing to me to get two likes in a thing. It's just like a lot of work. And that's with 7,000 followers. 7,000 sounds like a lot, but it's yeah. nothing. I mean, you know, did, I think did you see the thing with, I just use Twitter for jokes. All of a sudden, college, uh, women's college basketball is apparently very popular now. I guess they had the championship game yesterday and there was this, it's a very Twitter controversy. There was taunting, I guess, back and forth between these two players with something like the hand in the face. It means you can't see me. I don't even understand the taunt. I guess it's a Gen Z thing. But I found it like very uninteresting. But I was like, oh, this is going to be a stimulus package for middle-aged sports writers because they love to be like, oh, no, this isn't how you play the game. They've been doing stimulus this package. <laughs> forever. And I thought I was like, oh, it's a little haha. Within 15 minutes, I was accused of being ageist, of being anti-middle-aged. I'm like, I'm 50. <laughs> what do I go? Like, what? <laughs> But don't you know that people are going to live till 120, so now middle age is 60, so how do you- <laughs> I'm like, yeah. this doesn't make any sense. What are you talking about? <laughs> I try to be like earnest and respond to like Cinnabon 6552. Enragement equals engagement, and it's just not healthy. All, All right, right, let's get on to good product. I don't think menthol cigarettes, that's a good product. All right, good product. 
Troy, you didn't have one last week, so you better have one this week. Yeah, it's not at a good price point, but I really wanted one of those fancy Apple monitors. There are two. Which one? The fancy, fancy one? No, the one that's a couple thousand bucks, that one. Okay, yeah, yeah. And it's 27-inch Apple Studio Pro monitor, something like that. Yeah. It has a camera in it. It has a chip in it. It has pretty good speakers in it. It's incredibly even, and I got the one that moves up and down and tilts. It's just a beautiful thing. It adjusts really easily. I just like it, and I spend so much time in front of it, I think it's totally worth it. And it replaced a widescreen LG external monitor I had. It's a pleasure to own and to use, so I think that's my good product today. I like it a lot. The thing that I haven't optimized for, and this is what I was going to ask you about, Alex, is I don't know how to move stuff between screens, I have the laptop in front of it. I find it really awkward to move or manage screens between the two surfaces. So what I end up doing, I use this software, which I don't think I'd bring to the group as a good product called Rune. It's like high-end Sonos. You typically use it for audiophile level music management. It's cool. There's some things about it that are cool. And it's how I run a lot of my streaming stuff on my stereo. But I keep that open in one window. And then I use the large monitor for the browser and all that stuff, primarily the browser or any applications I'm using. I haven't got that down yet, but the monitor itself is beautiful. The the big, big one I think is quite a bit more expensive, Alex, is 5,000 or something like that. Yeah, yeah, it's but, something crazy. There. Why do people is, want is multiple kind of, monitors? I don't understand that. Because there's this do you have one idea of these? that you will multitask. No, I have many displays. I couldn't get myself to spend that much money on it. But I know I would enjoy it, and it's probably something I'm going to do once I have a separate home office. Put in a couple but, uh, four and a half day weeks. You can get there. <laughs> I can afford it, but it doesn't mean I'll buy anything. I find that sometimes Apple is just taking the piss a little bit. However, whenever you buy any of their products, it is true that they're leagues ahead of anyone else. We can't take that away from them. You can complain about the screen, and yes, you can buy a Samsung screen that looks nice and has a better feature set or whatever, but it's never quite like that. And they still own that space of being just the yeah, best money can buy sometimes. You know, and I'm, I'm starting to circle back on these headphones that I'm wearing, the Apple headphones. I'm all Apple though right now. I complained about them because the microphone sucks, and I still maintain that's a problem with them. But the one nice thing is, oh my God, do they work nicely in the Apple Apple ecosystem. So if I walk down... If I walk down to the TV room and I have these headphones on, the Apple TV will recognize them and connect me instantly. If I walk back up, they'll connect to my computer or to my phone or to... And do like stereo 3D surround sound and it's kind of wild. Pretty cool. Pretty cool, the connection part, if you're in the ecosystem. Better than those skull candies. Oh, my. These were a giveaway at some Digiday event eight years ago. (laughs) Are they they sponsored by... Did I have Tabula logos on the left? <laughs> I don't think they do. I Didn't think, you like uh, that from our, our ad format? No, what was it? It was the Seb one. Format Schmormats? Yeah, yeah. No, it was uh, before the, it was after the format Schmormat. It was Seb saying, what is this? I just got an ad on Instagram for like Taboola or something, which was funny. <laughs> Because he just brought it up one of, the most, one of the most successful ad formats, commercial ad formats of the mm-hmm. open web. I'm just saying. And the other thing is, 
clearly someone is targeting my household by IP address. Yeah. And because (laughs) that was meant for me, he took the bullet. And he also got retargeted on clothing company that I had been browsing because he's, remember he said, and then there was this like spray stripey t-shirt like my dad would wear. And and it's it's so funny because it's actually, I'm going to show, it's this t-shirt. Ah, okay. <laughs> On that note, all right, let's I'm wrap it up. I'm still waiting for advertising to disappear, but let's wrap it up. Yes. Thanks so much for listening. Again, let me know your thoughts on this. My email is brian at therebooting.com. Before we go, Brian, quick update on ad slot availability. How are we doing? Ad slot availability? We got a few slots in April. May is filled up. How are we feeling about Q2? Q2? I mean, it's probably like 70% filled right now. Got a couple proposals out. July and August, those are tough months. I might have to cut some deals. Anyone out there, I mean, I'm not going to like totally pull my pants down, but a reasonable, tasteful discount. Let's talk. Mm. Love you guys. Bye, guys. See ya.